Well, good morning. How many of you were not at any of the meetings this weekend? This is your first. All right. We're going to do an altar call for you over on this side. <laughs> at the, I'm, I'm teasing. So good to be with you guys. Uh, so I just want to say thank you again to Pastor Ray and the whole team here. Can we just thank God for Pastor Ray and Carol and Pastor David, Kim, and the whole team here. Thank you guys so much. For, it's just been, you know, there's some places that... Uh, you travel to and you speak and then you leave. And there's places that you travel to and it just really feels like family. And you guys feel like family. Uh, it's just really, um, really comfortable here. And uh, you guys have just made it really enjoyable and easy to be here. So thank you so much. I love that this is, a, how many of you know that first and foremost, the church, the body of Christ is a family. You know, we're called to be a family. We're called to be a people who, uh, when we come together, we don't just, check into church and check out to check off some religious box but we're we're meant to be a family to be in each other's lives to be in community and because how many of you know that we can't do this on our own i was having lunch with somebody yesterday and we were talking about how people often have a temptation to be isolated and i said yeah and i i quoted this quote that i heard somebody say i said that the the banana that leaves the bunch is the first to get eaten <laughs> so it's important to stay together, to stay in community, even when it's hard. How many of you know that community and family is hard sometimes? But it's necessary. And let me just say this. My wife preached a message a few weeks ago on, uh, on living in healthy family and the church being a healthy family. And, and um, she said, just because it's hard. And by the way, this applies to every area of our life. Just because it's hard, it doesn't mean it's not right. And I feel prophetically, this isn't even my message this morning, but I feel prophetically some of you are walking through trials. Some of you are going through some difficult times. And I feel like the Lord's saying, you're not facing, it's not difficult because you're doing something wrong. It's actually, you're facing resistance because you're doing something right. So I want to encourage you, just keep walking because you're going to get through it. You know, there's a scripture in... Um, Psalm 84, in fact, I'm just going to read it just because the Lord is just speaking to this me, speaking this to me right now. And in Psalm 84, a really incredible, uh, it's a really incredible psalm, but there's a real incredible passage of scripture. Listen to this. Psalm 84 verse 5 says this, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. How many of you know that as we walk through this life on planet Earth that we're actually pilgrims? We're actually from another land. We're citizens of heaven and we're, we're walking through Earth. We're, just, we're here for a season, okay? Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Listen to this. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Say strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca. That word Baca literally means the place of weeping. As they pass through the valley or the place of weeping, they make it a place of springs. And... First of all, it's interesting that it says, as they pass through. How many of you know you're going to get through it? Ever talk to someone, and you're like, hey man, how you doing? They're like, well, I'm doing okay. I've been in a wilderness season, but I'm doing okay. I'm like, you've been in a wilderness season? Like, it seems like when I asked you 10 years ago how you were doing, you said you were in a wilderness season. And I'm like, it sounds like it's become not a season, but a lifestyle for you. <laughs> Here's the deal. Sometimes we walk through difficult times, but how many of you know it's not our inheritance? And it's not supposed to be a lifestyle. As they pass through the valley of Baca. It's kind of like David in Psalm 23. Remember that? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He goes on and he says this. Though I pass, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is he fearing no evil? Well, the next verse says, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But I believe the other reason he's fearing no evil is because he knows he's walking through it. He's going to get through it. See, we're called, sometimes we walk through valleys, but let me just say this. We're never called to set up camp there. 
So I want to encourage you, if you're going through something, just keep walking because you're going to get through it. And somebody this morning needs to hear that, you're going to get through it. You're coming through it. Not only that, but it says they make it a place of springs. The Lord is so good at making your most difficult season or situation a place of springs or a place of pools where he, see, God is an expert at causing all things to work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And I believe that when the enemy lays a hand on a child of God, he's actually taking a risk because if we will keep our hearts pure before the Lord, the Lord will actually use it to promote us, use it for our benefit to launch us into our destiny. It's really, 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 really true. I want to encourage you, do not waste your trial because God will use it to promote you. He will use it to benefit you. He will use you to bring you. It's like Graham Cook says, like if the devil's coming against you, if you're facing a demon, use that sucker as a footstool to climb into your next level of destiny. Because God causes all things to work together for good. And if God causes all things, it doesn't even, it doesn't say all good things. It says all things. And I'll just say this. Although God doesn't cause everything, he will use everything because he's a good steward and he doesn't waste anything. So I want to encourage you, don't waste your trial. And I've found myself getting excited when I face resistance. (laughs) Because not only does it mean the enemy's afraid of my future, but it means that God will use the very thing the enemy used against me to promote me, to advance me. It's like Joseph when he was thrown in prison in Egypt. He said to his brothers who, threw, who sold him into slavery, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's a God of redemption. He's a God that doesn't get, doesn't get surprised. He's a God who doesn't, uh, you know, it's like, it's like I heard somebody say a long time ago, like God can win with any hand. <laughs> I don't play poker, but I heard that a set of twos isn't very good. And this one person said, God can win with any hand, even a set of twos. One person plus God is always a majority. And when, we, when we're anchored in the reality that God is entirely good, he causes all things to work together for our good, we can walk through life believing that no matter what gets thrown against me, God's going to use it for our benefit, for our good. Romans 8, 28. If God be for us, it says in another place, who can be against us? And right now, I feel like this, I, this wasn't in my notes. I didn't even think about this until I stepped in front of this pulpit. But God is on this. If you are going through, I don't mean you had a bad day or a bad week because you stubbed your toe. I mean, you are going through a trial. Some of you, it might be the greatest season you've ever walked through. If that's you, I want you to stand where you are right now. Wow. The rest of you, I want you to look around. I just want you to stretch your hands toward these people. If you're close enough to put a hand on them, put a hand on them. And I want you to begin to declare over them that they're coming into a new season and that they're walking through the Valley of Baca and they're going to get through it. So just begin to pray that over them. Father, thank you that you're bringing them through it. Father, we declare breakthrough in the name of Jesus. We declare wilderness seasons coming to an end. We declare Song of Solomon 2. The winter is over and the spring has come. We declare a season of springtime into their lives in the name of Jesus. Springtime season be released into their lives right now in the mighty name of Jesus. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. We release breakthrough in Jesus' name. Breakthrough. 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 Spirit of breakthrough, come. And bring freedom from this wilderness season. And I declare God is causing all things to work together for your good. Because he loves you. He is for you and not against you. In Jesus name. More Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Some of you have been just walking through, walking around life just feeling this weight. I just declare that breaks this morning now in the name of Jesus. And I declare his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And I declare even your mind shifting this morning to know that things are going to work out. Things are going to be okay in the name of Jesus.
Lord, just release the renewing of the mind. I release fresh hope over these people. Those that feel hopeless, I release supernatural hope into their hearts and into their minds. And I declare and I prophesy you are going to get through it and your best days are ahead. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, let's just thank Jesus this morning. I want to share a word um, that's on my heart this morning. But before I do that, I just want to let people know my wife wrote a book called Embracing Mystery, A 21-Day Journey to Hope. And if you're somebody that just wants to just cultivate more hope in your life, which, by the way, is a joyful, confident expectation that good things are going to happen. If you want more hope in your life, that's available. It's a 21-day devotional. It's just like a few pages a day, and it's really good. I'm not just saying that because... uh, because she's my wife, because <laughs> my wife wrote it, and I have to say it, it's actually really good. It was endorsed by Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's wife, Danny Silk. And this book was prophesied by a prophetic uh, young man named Sean Boltz. And we were in a house with a group of people, and Sean Boltz, a real prophet, uh, had a word of knowledge. And he said, does October 27th mean anything to anybody? And my wife was like, that's her anniversary. He goes, which one's from Canada? I'm like, me. And began to prophesy things over us. And then he prophesied uh, that we would, we would create curriculum, that we would write. And my wife already had this uh, desire to write a book in her heart. And Sean just confirmed it. And, you know, we talked yesterday about stewarding prophetic words, that when you receive a promise, God waits for us to take steps of faith into the promise. So she gets this word that she's going to write a book. She went home and the next day wrote the entire outline. And then it was published like within a year. And I'm like, babe, you need to lay hands on me right now. Because I've been working on the same two books for I don't know how long now. And uh, she just stewarded that word so well. But that's available. It's out there in the lobby, I think. And they're $10 if you want to grab one. So doing okay? Are you guys hungry? No, I mean, like, are you physically hungry? Like, are you waiting for lunchtime? <laughs> or, or are you filled up on donuts out there? How many of you love donuts at church? You know you're in a good church when there's good donuts and good coffee. Thank you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, of course. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a, a message that's on my heart. And if you have your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a spirit of revelation. Thank you for impartation. Jesus, come and continue to fill this room and anoint me with your heart, with your Holy Spirit. Let let my words be your words and help me to only speak what you want me to share. I just pray that you would set people free. And Lord, release a fresh revelation of our identity in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 8, are you there? I want to start in verse 15. The Apostle Paul's writing, the Christians who are in Rome, those who have been born again, those who have put their faith in Jesus, and this is what he said to them in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Say adoption. Some of your translations probably say the spirit of sonship. Say sonship. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I want to read verse 17, sorry, verse 16 one more time. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, there's, it's one thing to believe intellectually that we're sons and daughters of God. And it's another thing to get a heart or spirit revelation, understanding that we're sons of God, that we're daughters of God. And there's something about that understanding going from just our head into our heart that is an absolute game changer for our lives. Like probably some of you, I I wasn't brought up in the church. Um, In fact, I was raised in a broken home. My dad 
uh, my parents divorced when I was two years old. My dad left my mom and my older sister and myself, uh, you know, to fend for ourselves. He was in and out of other relationships. Uh, and really, he, I can't blame him. He didn't know his dad. He didn't have a relationship with his dad. It was never modeled for him. He didn't know Jesus, and he didn't know his dad. <laughs> to, to, like, to, to uh, you know, things going against him. So he didn't know how to be a good dad. So he left. He divorced my mom. He left my mom, and my mom did her best to raise my sister and I. Uh, but I wasn't raised in the church, except we visited, uh, I remember visiting churches. My mom actually teaching Sunday school for a while at one church that I don't even think it was a church that preached the gospel. It was just more of a, you know, it was a united church um, that basically didn't even teach that the Bible was literal, uh, that we could take it, you know, at its word. And she just kind of went on this journey, but it didn't really um, know the grace of God in its fullness and uh, or the reality of the scriptures. And uh, by the time I was 16 years old, actually by the time I was seven years old, just because of God's sovereign hand on my life, I just knew that I knew that I knew that there was a God in heaven and, and that I had to know how to get right with him. Like it was like, it's crazy. It's just God's sovereign hand on my life. I remember being seven years old, going to my mom in tears, saying, mom, how can I know that I'm gonna, when I die someday, I'm actually gonna be in heaven? And she'd be like, um, like kind of freaked her out. She's like, you know, I, it's only bank robbers and murderers that don't go to heaven. So you're okay. You're a good boy, you know. And she did her best to comfort me. By the time I was 16, I was just under so much conviction that I couldn't even enjoy sin. <laughs> By God's grace. I remember the first time I went out to, to get high. Um, you know, the, the conviction of God was all over me, and I knew that I couldn't do it, or I shouldn't do it, but I went and did it anyway with my friend. And within like an hour, I was, my, there was no one home at my mom's house. Within an hour, I was in my mom's living room repenting and making my friend repent who was with me. You know, mix the conviction of God with the paranoia from, from smoking something. And I'm like, dude, God doesn't like this. We need to repent. And he's like, okay. It's like I was an evangelist before I knew Jesus, you know. And, and, and I just, God's hand was on my life. I couldn't enjoy sin. By the time I was 16 in high school, I began reading my Gideon's New Testament that they gave us in high school, in junior high actually, and then I read it in high school and it said, if you read this every day, God will bless you. And I'm like, that's a start. So I went on this journey of just trying to get right with God. I tried to clean up my life. I stopped playing drums in that punk band, you know, that I was playing in and I was just trying to go, you know, trying to clean up my life. And then, but how many of you know we can't clean up our life and we can never be right with God apart from the grace of Jesus and his blood that was shed on the cross? So... By the time I was 16, I was depressed, confused, trying to clean up my life, couldn't get peace. My mom was upset because I was upset. And one day in January 1994, I came home from school. It was a, it was a winter day. And I remember to this day, I was like, I need to talk to somebody. And I remember getting down on my knees on my mom's living room floor after school and, and saying, God, I need you to change my situation. I need breakthrough. By the way, there is a generation out there crying out for the reality of God. And he's getting ready to meet them right where they're at. And I'm saying, God, just change my situation. I need you to break in. I need you to do something for me. And I had this thought, maybe I can go and to my next door neighbor's house and talk to their pastor who I had visited this church. It was a great church. It was a vineyard church. And I had visited this church before. And I thought, maybe I can talk to their pastor on the phone and he can help me out. So I go next door. They try to get a hold of their pastor. He's not available. But they get a hold of the youth pastor. His name is John. And I get on the phone with John. And I said, hi, John. My name's Chuck. I'm 16 years old. I'm trying to clean up my life. I want to know how to go to heaven. I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> like, dream come true to any youth pastor or evangelist. He's like, why can't all the young people be like this, you know? I'm like, I'll do whatever it takes. I I'm trying to get right with Jesus. I st I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to sin. I'm trying to clean up my life. You know, I want to be right with God. And he just began to just share the gospel with me. He just opened all the scriptures through Romans and like the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Confess with, or believe in your heart that God rose Jesus from the dead. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved in John three sixteen and all this. And he unpacked just the beautiful gospel that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and rose again, that if you just trust in him, you will be born again, you will be forgiven, you will be cleansed, you will be a son of God, and it's free. Yeah, you can get excited about that. I'm telling you, 
in an hour of, of the prophetic movement and revelation come out of the church like crazy. I love that. I am so thankful for that. But listen to me. Do not ever allow a pressure to be profound distract you from the simplicity of the gospel. Just the beautiful truth that Jesus laid his life down and rose again, that I could be born again. I'm a son. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And I thought, this is why it's called good news. It's the gospel. And it just clicked. Oh, I'm a son. And I just prayed with him, gave my life to Jesus that, that afternoon, talked to him for like two hours. I got born again. I went home feeling like I was floating off the ground. I was like, oh, this is what it's about. I knew I would never be the same again. I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I found it. I'm born again. I'm saved. A few months later, my, my sister gave her life to Jesus. And that was January 1994, the same month that there was a powerful outpouring known as the Toronto Blessing or the Father's Blessing in, in Toronto, Canada, where the, there was a, this powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary manifestations of the Holy Spirit, I know some of you visited that movement and that outpouring in Toronto, um, which so many ministries today trace their roots back to this outpouring in Toronto. I'm telling you, millions of people came through that revival and were marked and touched by God. But one of the primary revelations that was released during that outpouring was the revelation of the Father's love. And we started meeting every night of the week, except Mondays. Well, well the presence of God just crashed into the room and the glory of God filled the room. I remember the glory of God sometimes resting on me so strong. And people would pray for us, we would fall down, and waves of God's glory would wash over us. And I remember it being so strong, yet so beautiful, so weighty, so glorious. I loved it so much, but it's, it was kind of like, I'd be like, God, I love this, but I don't know if I can take anymore. It was, it was that beautiful, that strong. And I can show you like, Spot after spot on the carpet in that building where I just had encounters with the Holy Spirit. Encounters with the Father's love. But there was one particular encounter that I remember and I'll never forget that marked my life. And I was sitting there, I, or standing there. I came up for prayer. People prayed for me. Power of God came on me. I fell down. And then this lady, a prophetic lady in our church that as far as I know didn't even know my history, my family background, came over to me and she began to prophesy to me. And she said, Chuck, the Lord wants you to know that you can never again say that you don't have a father because he's your father. And then she began to prophesy as though it was God himself speaking. And she began to say things like, good son, good son, I delight in you. God was saying this to her. I delight in you. Well done. I am so pleased with you. I so delight in you. And just waves of the Father's love began to wash over me and fill me. And I began to encounter what the Apostle Paul called the spirit of adoption. Or the spirit of sonship. And it's as though God the Father was saying, Chuck, there's nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. I love you just because you're my son. Period. <laughs> and how many of you know that when we get a revelation that we're sons and daughters, we don't work for God's love? We work from his love. There's a really big difference. We start to do things not to earn God's approval. We start to, we start to do things with God because we're already approved. And I encountered this thing called the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship. And, and, and there's several things that happen and, and continue to happen. How many of you know that we're, we're still on a journey every one of us, of discovering the depths of the Father's love. But one of the things that happened to me and one of the things that happens when we encounter the spirit of adoption is this. We get absolutely set free from all sense of shame, guilt, and condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We can't afford to think anything about ourselves that God doesn't think about us. 
And there's, see, shame, guilt, condemnation, there's, there's no place for it in sons and daughters of God. We need to reject every thought about ourselves that doesn't produce hope. The reality is we all just need to start and continue to see ourselves the way the Father sees us. If we really saw ourselves and loved ourselves the way that God sees us and loves us, I'm telling you, cities would be changed in a heartbeat. When we know who we are, the devil's really scared. When we know who we are, we walk through life with a confidence with a joy, with a peace, with love that puts demons on the run, causes sickness to bow down, causes depression to break off of people. When we understand that we're sons and daughters. But we need to, but we need to be a people that are absolutely set free from all sense of guilt, shame, condemnation, unworthiness. Because it's just, it's not who we are. It's not how God sees us. He sees us through the lens of the blood of Jesus. He sees us as perfect in his sight through the blood of the cross, through what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. See, to be justified, the Bible says that we are justified, is to be just as though I haven't sinned. Listen, this isn't even my notes, but in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, you can read it later, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about how great men and women of God through faith did incredible things in the land through faith in God, right? It talks about how how by faith Moses led Israel out of the wilderness, you know, crossed the Red Sea or out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. It talks about how by faith Enoch walked with God and then was no more. By the way, how many of you would love to go be with Jesus that way? You're not getting old. I mean, you're getting old, but you're not dying of sickness. You're not dying of being old. You're just walking with God, and God's like, Enoch, I like you. Why don't you just come on up here right now? Bam, he's up there. Like, that's how I want to go someday. You know, Enoch, it says, by faith, Enoch walked with God and uh, was no more. And then in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how by faith, somebody else did something incredible. And it was Sarah, the wife of Abram. Remember how, well, let me just read it. Listen to this. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sounds great, right? Wait a second. I don't think that's how the story went. If you read Genesis, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Abram, I'm going to call you Abraham, father of a multitude, and your wife, even though she's barren, is going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Isaac. He's going to be the son of promise, and through your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire earth. Sarah heard that. She's standing in her tent entryway, leaning on her broom, because she's probably just sweeping her tent or whatever. She overhears this conversation and she laughed. And the angel's like, why did Sarah just laugh? Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. And the angel said, oh, but you did. (laughs) That's actually what it says in Genesis. And basically she laughed in unbelief, which is why the angel rebuked her. But somewhere along along the way, Sarah repented. And she she adjusted her heart. She started to believe. And then when God recorded her story, he rewrote her history. God doesn't just forgive you of your past. He actually rewrites your history. And how many times do we wallow in shame, guilt, or condemnation? And we're like, God, I am so sorry. And I've done this. And you know you, know you don't really believe you're forgiven when you say sorry when you apologize to God over and over, and you try to convince him how sorry you are. Did you just hear my Canada come out? Sorry. My wife makes fun of me all the time for that. So, 
uh, how many times we, we're like, we, we do something, and we're like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry about that. I, I repent. I'm sorry. And then, like, we still feel guilty about it. So we're like, sorry. God, seriously, like, I am so sorry. And we're trying to, like, repent our way out of our guilt. And God's like, sorry for what? Like, I removed that from you a long time ago. I don't even remember that anymore. God doesn't just forgive us. He rewrites our history. It says in Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. You have permission to look at your life through the lens of, of God has completely erased that as though it hasn't even happened. That's the gospel. How many of you think that's good news? We need to repent of shame, guilt, condemnation. See, we get really good at repenting of our sin, which is great. We need to repent of our sin. And, you know, are you ever just, do you ever just feel convicted when you do something you're not supposed to do? Like, that's good. It's good that we get convicted of our sin. But what about getting convicted of our righteousness? Could you imagine we are so convicted of our righteousness in God? Like, I'm just like walking through the house and I look like I'm in deep thought. And, and my wife's like, what's wrong? What are you thinking about? And I'm like, I'm just feeling really convicted right now. She's like, why? What did you do? I'm like, that's the thing. I didn't do anything. It's what he did 2,000 years ago. And I'm feeling so convicted that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says that, right? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can hold our heads high, not in arrogance, but in a confidence. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. One time I was at, when I was still in Redding, California, you know, I was feeling shame over something and I'm just like lying on my bed, just like repenting over and over. I'm like, God, I am so, so sorry for that. And as I'm doing this, I have this like quick vision of Snow White. And it's like, I know that's God because I'm not like a huge Snow White fan and I don't have like a Snow White poster in my bedroom. I just see this vision of Snow White. And I'm like, that has to be God. And then God said, Chuck, not only are you forgiven, but you're actually as white as snow. And then I remember, I have an older sister, so I know enough about the story of Snow White to know that there was this wicked witch that would take her magic mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? hoping the, the, the mirror would say, well, you're the fairest. But what did the mirror say? Snow White is the fairest of them all. And God said, Chuck, not only are you forgiven and not only are you as white as snow, but you're actually the fairest of them all. You're my favorite one. <laughs> and that goes for every single one of us. In the kingdom, in the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, we all get to be his favorite. When we're convinced that we're his favorite, we know that he doesn't just love us, he likes us. God doesn't just love you with a generic sense of love because it's his job. He likes you. He likes how he made you. He likes your personality. He likes your appearance. He likes the things that you like. You know, he's, that's why God speaks to us in a language that, that, that touches our hearts. You know? That's why God likes... Ever, ever wonder why, like, God, like, will answer prayers that just don't even seem significant? It's because he likes you. If it matters to you, it matters to him. So we need to repent of shame and guilt and condemnation. If there's anyone here that's been wrestling with shame, unworthiness, condemnation, I break that off of you in the name of Jesus and I give you permission to forgive yourself and confess that you're the righteousness of God. In fact, right now, say out loud, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm as white as snow and I'm the fairest of them all because I'm his favorite one. Come on. See, this, another thing that happens when we understand that we're sons and daughters of God, we start to realize that we're new creations. I shared this the other day. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That word new is kainos, and it means novel, extraordinary, never before seen. Ladies and gentlemen, we are amazing. It might sound arrogant, but it's not. It's just, it's the Bible. And when we understand we're sons and daughters, we start to understand that we have permission to thrive in life, to be successful, to be amazing. We're made in the image of God. 
if we're made in the image of God, like we have, we have no right to belittle ourselves or talk down about ourselves. When you insult yourself, you insult your creator. If somebody did a work of art, do you think you're doing them a favor if you walk up to them and you're like, that's horrible. You're not a good artist at all. That's an ugly painting. No, we would never say that. Well, how many of you know that we are the masterpiece of the cosmic artist? And every time we put ourselves down or someone else down, we're actually putting down the person who created them. We honor people not because they do everything perfectly, but because they're made in the image of God. So God's breaking false humility off of people. I was thinking about this one day, and I wrote it down. And I said, many people shrink back from their destiny in the name of humility. But God is not intimidated by your greatness. History is made by those who know who they are and whose they are. So arise and shine because the world needs you. Right? We, sometimes we think God's insecure and that if we get too amazing, we're going to like rob him of his glory. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, do you think, like, I have two-year-old identical twin girls. Don't you think I want them to succeed and thrive and be confident in life? If they play soccer someday, do you think I'm going to be at their soccer game being like, oh, Autumn, Charlie, don't score too many goals because you might become prideful, Okay. I'm going to be like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be like, go. I'm going to be like cheering them on. And and I'm going to be like putting down other kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Because they're made in God's image, right? Um, So, you know, I'm going to be wanting them to succeed. I want, see, if they succeed in life, it doesn't rob me of my glory. It actually tells people that I'm a good dad. And when you and I are successful, we thrive. We're amazing. We're confident. Not arrogance, but confident. See, humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, nor is humility refusing to shine. Humility is simply recognizing the source of our light, and then it's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and because we're sons and daughters of God. See, sometimes we're so wrapped up in false humility that we don't even know how to receive a compliment. Somebody's like, hey, great job doing that song. And we're like, oh, that, was, that wasn't me. That was totally Jesus. It's like, come on, it wasn't that good. Like, give me a break. Just like, if it was Jesus, it would be amazing. You know what I mean? It was good, but don't be like, oh, that was completely the Holy Spirit. I'm like, dude, give me, give, give, you know, give me a break. See, if we don't know how to properly receive a compliment, we're not going to have anything to go back to the secret place and lay at his feet. If somebody, I've, I used to walk in false humility. Oh, that was just totally the Lord. That's not me at all. Well, actually, it is me because I'm a son of God and I represent him. And it's his spirit living inside of me. So if somebody gives me a compliment, I'm like, oh, thanks so much. That's encouraging. Then I go back to the secret place. And I say, Jesus, it's all about you. It's only by your grace that I can do anything, that I can even breathe the air that I'm breathing. I just give you glory in Jesus' name. But we need, we need to give ourselves permission to be amazing. If I turn to the person beside you right now and say, whether you like it or not, you're amazing. <laughs> and you know what happens when we understand we're sons and daughters of God, that we have permission to be amazing, is it sets us free from comparison. God's breaking comparison off of the church. There's such a temptation for us to compare ourselves to other people. Like, if only I was as gifted as that person. If only I could sing like that person. If only I looked like that person, then I would be happy. And where God's like, are you kidding me? Like, I made you the way you are with a unique facet of my nature and a unique facet of my glory in such a way that you represent my glory in a way that nobody else can. See, we can learn a ton about our creator God by looking at his creation. Ever notice that nothing is exactly the same anywhere? There's no trees that look exactly alike. There's no mountains that look exactly the same. You won't find two people that look exactly alike anywhere on earth. God, like, is into diversity. He's so into unique identity, diversity, 
uniqueness. We have identical twin girls. People are like, how do you tell them apart? But to my wife and I, they're so different. I mean, yeah, there's times where I have to do a double take. <laughs> Especially if I'm, they're, they're dressed the same and I'm like, look at, like seeing them from behind. But they, they have different personalities. They have the same DNA, but different fingerprints. Even identical twins have, have differences. And God is so into diversity that tells us something about his heart. And that is this. He doesn't want clones. He wants us to be uniquely ourselves and unique expressions of his nature in the earth. Let me just say this. The moment you try to be just like somebody else instead of yourself is the moment you start doing the world a disservice. Because the world needs who you are. Sorry, what's your name right here again? Right beside you. Yeah, CJ? So I'm just going to use CJ as an example. CJ is so uniquely designed by God. Her likes, her dislikes, again, her personality, her giftings, her temperament, that when she is fully free to be herself, which, herself, which by the way, I feel like she is. She's, she's confident. She knows who she is. And as she is free to be her, she displays the very nature of God that's on her life in a way that nobody else in this room and nobody else on earth can do it. That's why we need to know who we are. We need to be comfortable in our own skin. Every time we try to be some, like somebody else instead of ourselves, we're always second best at best. But when we are fully ourselves, comfortable in our unique design, in our giftings, our callings, what we're good at, what makes, our, what makes us come alive on the inside, we start to display God's glory in the earth. Like it says in Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We're called to arise and shine because we're sons and daughters of God. Later on in Romans chapter 8. It says. After it talks about us receiving a spirit of sonship. Spirit of adoption. In Romans 8 verse 19. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Planet Earth is waiting for you and I to believe that we're sons and daughters. And when we believe that we're sons and daughters and we get that revelation and it goes from our head down into our heart, it starts to touch our emotions. It starts to touch... Uh, our convictions, we start to live out of, see, we, when we understand that we're sons and daughters and that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we start to live out of that identity. See, we're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints who just sometimes forget who we are. See, notice that Paul never writes, you know, in one of his letters, he never starts it by saying, to the sinners who are in Ephesus. The unfaithful in Christ Jesus. <laughs> no, he's like, to the saints who are in Ephesus. To the faithful in Christ Jesus. See, when we got born again, it says in Galatians 2, that we were crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hey, what's going on? Good to see you. We are the righteousness of God. And when we start to understand that our identity is that we're the righteousness of God, we start to live out of that conviction. See, if we believe that we're sinners, we'll sin by faith. <laughs> but if we believe we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we, I am pure, I am holy, I'm the righteousness of God. God's, God doesn't just love me, he likes me, he's into me. <laughs> he watches me and like laughs over me. 
I move his heart. It's like in, in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Remember that? God calls the prophet Jeremiah. And he's like, Jeremiah, before I even formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It's interesting that before God gave Jeremiah his assignment, he spoke to his identity. Jeremiah, I, before I even formed you, like, forget the whole prophet piece for a second. The first thing that I want you to know is this. First things first. Before you were even formed in your mom's womb, before you were even conceived, I knew every detail about your life. And that word knew, I believe, is the word yada. It speaks of an intimate knowledge. I knew every detail about you. And the implication is this. I really liked what I saw. Before I formed you in your mom's womb, I knew you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. When we understand our identity, God can entrust us with our assignment. Because then we do our assignment not with the mentality of I'm doing things for God, but I'm doing things with God as a son, as a daughter. And then we start to release his love everywhere we go. When we understand we're sons and daughters, when we encounter his love, we start to become encounters everywhere we go. I love sharing this story. One day my, my wife and I were on our way back from an appointment and we stopped into Freebirds to get lunch. Thank you, Jesus, for Freebirds. And the young man who is making our burrito, he's, he's, he's thin, he's tatted up, kind of looks like a hipster. He's making our burritos, making our lunch. And I felt like God gave me a word of knowledge. I said, hey, do you have back pain? He goes, yeah, why? I said, I just feel like, you know, God, God shows me when people have pain and he likes to heal them. Can I pray for you? He said, sure. But what I really need is healing in my heart. And I said, well, God can do both. <laughs> and he let me pray for him right over the cash register. Prayed for uh, his back, but also got to pray because he had, he had a broken relationship. He was grieving. Got to pray for healing in his heart. Uh, that, that he would experience the Father's love, all of that. And what I didn't realize is he was... Um, he had known the Lord, but he, was, he had gotten away from Jesus. And uh, I prayed for him. He said, can I give you a hug? I go, absolutely. So I gave him a hug right there in Hebrews. And I just gave him a little invite to our church. I said, hey, man, come hang out with us. Come worship with us sometime. And, uh, and about two weeks passed, and I was preaching on a Sunday night. And at the end, I had, I had an altar call, and people were coming up for prayer. And next thing I know, there's this young man standing in front of me. I didn't recognize him because he had a ball cap. Tears coming down his face. He said, do you rec he said, hi, do you know who I am? I said, no. He said, I'm Evan from Freebirds. I said, hey, good to see you. He said, something told me that I had to be here tonight. And I rode my bicycle from like another part of San Antonio. It was like July or August. He said, I rode my bike here because something told me that I had to be here. And right there at the front of our church, he re rededicated his life to Jesus. Gave his, gave his life to the Lord. Because when we understand that we're sons and daughters, we start to feel God's compassion and his love for the people around us. Because Jesus said this, and I'll close with this, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Now listen to this. Freely you have received, now freely give. When we freely receive God's love, spirit of sonship, spirit of adoption, we start to realize in the same way that I've freely received his love, I can freely give his love that manifests in power everywhere I go. We start to release his love. We start to prophesy over people. We start to encourage people. We start to pray for the sick. Sometimes it's just it's maybe telling somebody in an airport, hey, I just felt like God highlighted you to me. And I feel like he just wants you to know it's going to be okay. Whatever it is you're going through right now, it's going to be okay. God is with you. Something as simple as that can give them an encounter with the heart of God. See, the, the, the purpose of the prophetic is to let people know that they're seen and known by God, and it, and, it, and it brings them into an encounter with his love. And we can do this as, we're, as we understand we're sons and daughters, that there's nothing we can do to make him love us any more. There's nothing we can do to make him love us any less. When we understand that we've been set free from all guilt, shame, condemnation, when we start to understand that we're new creations, we're extraordinary, novel, never before seen. We give ourselves permission to be amazing. 
we're set free from false humility and we walk through life with a confidence knowing that we're called to arise and shine, giving all glory back to God. And then we start to release his love everywhere we go. We encounter him so that we can become an encounter as his sons and daughters. Let's all stand together. If we can play a little bit of music. This is what I want us to do. Because there's power in the declaration, we're going to make some declarations together concerning our identity as sons and daughters. You ready to do that? Now, when you say this, I want you to say it out loud. I want you to attach faith to it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I want you to declare over your own heart, over yourself, I am a child of God. God the Father delights in me. Yeah, put your hand on your heart. I am a new creation. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't just love me. He really likes me. I bring joy to his heart. I am his favorite one. I'm the fairest of them all. And because I am filled with the love of God, everywhere I go, I release his love. I release encounters. I call people who they are before they are. I heal the sick. I raise the dead. I cast out demons. I set people free. And I introduce them to the love of God. In Jesus' name. Just keep your hand on your heart. Father, I just pray that you would take this word, you would take this message, and you would release it deep into the hearts of everyone here. That if there was anybody that came in this morning doubting how much you love them, doubting their identity, I pray that they would leave this morning convinced and persuaded that they are outrageously loved by you. That you just are so in love with them. You are crazy about them. And as we understand your love, we would leave even more in love with ourselves that we might properly love others. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, let's just thank Jesus this morning.